I thought you were. I thought. I thought. I thought wrong. <laughs> we always think. We always. <laughs> it's always so wrong. We always think. We never think right. <laughs> we never know. <laughs> Motivational quote 2021. Why do people okay, why do people keep telling me that yawning means that I'm depressed? They need to stop because I get it, I yawn a lot, but how does that equate? Who the fuck is saying that? Because I'm super depressed. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's what, what I'm the saying. Fuck? Yawning means that your brain isn't getting enough oxygen, okay? I know, but apparently it's not getting enough oxygen because you're so fucking depressed. <laughs> No, no, no. I just forget to breathe. No, we just forget to breathe because we want to die sometimes. Anywho, this is the Red Ribbon Red Wine (laughs) Podcast. (laughs) The podcast where we talk about murder, mysteries, and mishaps. Not our own, though. Nope. This is Chris. No, never. (laughs) Not at this moment in time. (laughs) Not me getting incriminated for Sarah's murder. What? This is Kristen. (laughs) bitch <laughs> if i get murdered there's one place they're coming and it's to the podcast aka you yeah my search history incriminating enough like let's be <laughs> honest come on i once googled how many cherry pits it would take oh no no no! it's at the apple seeds that have arsenic how many apple seeds it would take for you to poison yourself to death <laughs> i was just curious wondering you know answer is a lot (laughs) (laughs) enough tis i sarah yeah what's up guys apparently sarah's just here to drag my freaking essence down apparently i knew yeah i know i said that i'd show up this week with something a little more light-hearted to bring our spirits back up from the tearful episode that Kristen had last. Uh, but, yeah, this is not that. So I'm sorry, not sorry. Oh, great, great. So I expect you to be completely hammered by the time this is <laughs> done to make yeah. up for it. Um, I have my trusty Walmart Cabernet next to me. Oh. I'm actually drinking it out of the glass your mom made for me that says... I'm one glass away from bringing up a bunch of shit from three years ago. Oh my God. I saw the your little uh, post on Twitter. Yeah, Hi. I just post in that tweet or in that tweet. You can only see a bunch of shit. A bunch of shit, but I kind of <laughs> liked it because I was like, "That's me right now. I'm one yeah. glass away from bringing up a bunch of shit." Exactly, okay. and I am fucking one existential crisis away from fucking dyeing my hair purple, which I already did. Hi. Kristen has purple hair. <laughs> it's fine. It looks so cute. I thanks, love it. Thanks. I have my um, I have a family member that is celebrating I, their fiftieth or sixtieth, some kind of like really long year of marriage. Great for them. Really, <laughs> it's great to see that people can actually do it. But for the party, they want to do purple, and so I was like. Fuck it, I'm just gonna show up with purple hair. So <laughs> all out or all out, dude. <laughs> exactly. So is that even a thing? Whatever. 
It is now. Nice. But yeah, it's fun stuff. It's fun stuff. Yeah. I'm enjoying it so far. And we'll see. I'm thinking blue next. Ooh, fun. Mm-hmm. I did something fun with my hair last week. I got a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> that was much needed. And um, the girl who cut my hair, she cut it for me like a year and a half ago when I went to spring break. And I had this really cute, layered, almost mullet look. And so I saw her again, and she remembered me, and I was like, I want the same thing. But she did my bangs kind of like, um, like too curtain yeah. Like, they're not very – so I, I need to kind of trim them up a little bit. But I don't know. So good. I'm all thin down bottom and – Like a mullet. Short on top. Yeah. I can <laughs> That's as fun as it gets over here. Oh, all right. Well, enough fun for today, I guess. I'm just ready to yeah. get my night ruined. So, yeah. what are we talking um, about today? I guess I don't know. I'm like, don't yeah. Well, do I, I don't wanna... know. You didn't say what you're drinking. I don't know oh, I just threw what I was drinking in there. You know? No. Yeah. We can we can hold it off for another second. Uh, I'm drinking a white claw. <laughs> are we surprised? No. I should surprise, have had surprise. I should have had wine, but um. My mom has had a bottle of wine opened, like, that she never finished, and I can't open a new bottle without finishing that bottle. Yeah. And right now I'm playing a game with her as who is going to drink the old disgusting wine first. (laughs) And right now we're, it's a tie. It's been open for like two days. (laughs) Yeah, it's been open, no, for like three or four. That's why I'm like, oh, yeah, no. Whoever, whoever's getting that is, um, yeah, is a sore ass loser. So hopefully it's not me. I'll like, I'll, I'll keep y'all updated. <laughs> but right now I have a liquor. Holy shit. Speaking of updates, I forgot I have an update on my last case. <gasps> oh my God. Why did we ever have these like close to Holy never? shit. I know. I think this is my first update with an actual update, not like a correction no, or whatever. Not just us fucking up. <laughs> Um, so the last story I told was about the Candyman killer, Dean yes. Coral. Yes, yes. And at the end of the story, we touched on how it's a strong belief uh, by investigators and others involved that there are more victims of yeah. Dean Corals somewhere um, that, you know, because his two accomplices only knew there was just no way the victims that, that they helped out time. with. Right, and he was, you know, 30-something years old, and yeah. so obviously he he probably had a history of doing this thing before uh, his accomplices helped out. So, I found an article that was published two days ago, and it was updated today, and I literally was doing research for my case today, and somehow this popped up. It was so random. So, it's basically... Um, talking about how, you know, they believe that there's more victims and they're really starting to look at it heavier now and they're using new technology to hopefully find the more victims. So, um, you know, they're using the information they have and the timelines they have. And uh, so basically they're using a technique known as ground penetration to try and find uh, more remains i have heard of that i they like use vibrations or shit to like find out what's in the ground it's pretty crazy 
Right. So um, they're basically optimistic that if they get to the right place or location, that they'll have the right equipment to um, measure things and to see, you know, what's underground. And um, and they're very determined and optimistic. So I thought it was going to describe right here exactly what ground penetration is. Yeah, it's a geophysical method that uses radar pulses to image the subsurface. And that's kind of what I thought it was. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty cool and really awesome that they are continuing their search and um, really trying to recover more victims. So Yeah, I feel like um, even though we spend like 99.9% of our time talking shit about... Uh, law enforcement they do do <laughs> they they do do good out there guys so it, it is good to hear them doing good with this case and actually trying to get some justice for the families out there that are probably don't even have a voice we don't even know that they need it yeah, so and they're still missing their children that we don't even know about aren't even aware about yeah damn well thank you sarah for the update i'm, I'm you're welcome i feel like a proud mom so proud of you for having your first official one <laughs> well i was literally about to forget about it until you said the word update so thank you <laughs> yeah but all right we'll just get into it dude this one is called the children of thunder cue thunder noises and cue my child screaming in the background. I think that was, like, perfect timing. Oh, great. Yes, thank you. Thanks, Theodore. Uh, this one is pretty insane. It's, you know, I love my <laughs> elemental stories. Yeah, so I'm, um, like, children. I'm already kind of scared. The name... Is deceiving. Uh, yeah, it doesn't involve children. Oh, that is I was going to say the name is deceiving, but... I'll, I'll touch on what the name means towards the end. Okay. Um, so it does involve, it's in California, and it, it does involve two different counties in California that are kind of nearby. And so I will be going back and forth a little bit at one point. Um, so if I get confusing, just let me know. Like, stop me. I'll clear it up. Oh, I'm going to try and not be confusing, but... So this one involves a couple of different instances that end up tying together, and it is a little culty. <gasps> so um, I just wait for it. Okay. Um, that that stuff will get get to us kind of towards the end as well. Okay. But here we go. We are going to start out in Woodacre, California. Um, it's in Marin County, which is. 20 miles north of San Francisco. Okay. Uh, so Woodacre is a tiny town. Everyone knows everyone. And um, it's just a small community. So around 5 a.m. on August 3rd, 2000. It's, it sounds so weird or it feels weird to say the year 2000. It just reminds me of that one. It's Jonas like I want to be like 2000. That's the only thing I, I correlate it to. Three thousand. Yeah. Yep. That's it. That's pretty much it. That's all that happened. I'm just Y2K. kidding. Y2K. Because this also <laughs> happened in 2000. Um, 
So <laughs> around 5 a.m. on August 3rd, 2000, the small community of Woodacre was awoken to the noise of multiple gunshots. Ew. A resident called 911 and reported the gunshots. Um, I'm unclear as to exactly who called 911 and how police knew exactly where to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were called to a studio apartment and it was attached to a home. So I don't know if the person who lived in the house like called 911 because they heard the gunshots and they were like, it sounded like it was... In- in the apartment attached to my house. <laughs> I, that's what I assume happened, but it wasn't clarified. Yeah. So I, I didn't, don't, I just wanted to say that. But I just think back, just, I just think back to the one time that my mom was here home alone. It was when I, I don't know if I was like not living here or whatnot, but I just wasn't here for the night. And my mom gets this random knock at the door and it's this cop and he's like, there, I got a call from this area and it's pinpointing me to this location and like you need to let me in and make sure that like I need to make sure that you're okay in order to cancel this call. My mom's like, I'm not going to let you in. Like I'm here by myself. I'm not going to open the door for you. And he's like, I need you to open the door for me to make sure that you're okay. And my mom's like, what the fuck? I didn't call 911. Like how do you even know like how that this house is the one that called like she was just so yeah, that's confused. not how it works <laughs> yeah and it was like three in the morning and my neighbor thankfully is a cop so she texted him and was like hey come over and he went over and they did the cop talk and he basically said that they like triangulated the location i guess like someone made a call and from the cell towers they pinpointed it to around her location so i don't know if that's like something that they did with this or what but even then it's like obviously you can get the wrong house if um, it's... yeah that's not what they did with this because of a be- of my next and it's 2000 few bullet points well yeah um but yeah what i assumed happened is that people who lived in the act so the studio apartment that the police got called to was behind the garage of a single unit family home So you had to go, it was tucked in the back of the house. You had to go behind the house to gain entry. And so you wouldn't know it was there unless you knew it was there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, So when a police approached the door to the apartment, it was unlocked. I watched um, an episode on this. I'll obviously like source it why I can't like remember the name of the show right now but they do the reenactments and in the reactment the police walks up and the door is kind of slightly ajar but it just says that it was unlocked so I don't know if it was actually open but it was definitely unlocked yeah um so like I mentioned it was hard to kind of just stumble across that apartment Um, so police definitely took note of that when they arrived and when they enter the apartment, they do see two deceased victims on the bed because remember it's a studio apartment. So the bed was like right there out in the open space. They didn't have to go searching through bedrooms or anything. Yeah. It's just an open room. Yeah. The two victims are identified as 45 year old Jenny Valerian. And 54-year-old Jim Gamble. Jim was on the floor next to the bed, like adjacent, you know, right 
directly next to it, and Jennifer was still lying in bed. They were both naked and laying surrounded by blood from their gunshot wounds. Jenny had been shot at twice, and Jim had been shot at four times. So the six shell casings that were covered from the scene were 9 millimeter caliber, mm-hmm. and this gave off the impression that a semi-automatic handgun had been used. Oh. Um, and, yeah, I, I kind of know what that means. <laughs> they do obviously show pictures of the weapon and stuff in the show, and that that's the only reason why. I mean. Yeah. No, no, I don't. <laughs> yeah. So, by the way their bodies were, it seemed, you know, like they were kind of cozy in bed and obviously startled by something yeah. because Jenny was still laying, like, on her back in the bed under the covers. And um, Jim, what, it looked like maybe he had tried to get up and then got shot and, like, had fallen or, you know. Yeah, I was about however. to say it kind of seems like they weren't naked like uh on accident like oh no they were um boyfriend girlfriend yeah so they were like literally sleeping and got awoke by the boom booms i oh my god sorry (laughs) that's what i call gunshots (laughs) to my dog The boom booms and the pop pops. Yep, yep, yep. (laughs) (laughs) So there wasn't any evidence found besides the shell casings. So besides being shocked at this double murder in this super small town, police and investigators were left with a mystery. Um, Apparently the last (laughs) homicide in this area was like, I'm so sorry. I, I maybe it's because I my mouth is dry. <laughs> maybe because I asked you to keep <laughs> chugging. Uh, who knows? Maybe it's because I just chugged red wine. The last homicide. <laughs> Why do I keep, keep saying hummus side? <laughs> we just really want some hummus right now, man. <laughs> Chickpeas, man. Oh, I'm so hungry. Uh, uh. Apparently, the last homicide in this area was, like, a decade before this. Oh, literal shit. 10 years. So, it was unheard of. And this is Especially a double homicide. Wow. Sorry? And this is in California, right? Yes. Damn. North of San Fran. So, when police look into Jenny and Jim's backgrounds to figure out, you know, exactly who they were and maybe if anyone or who would want them dead... Uh, They really could not find any ill will, no enemies, and they did find out that the apartment that they were in actually belonged to Jenny's daughter, 22-year-old Selena Bishop, who was not on the scene. So because Selena was not there and they weren't aware of where she was, they treated her absence as a missing persons case. Um... I did read in maybe a source or two that Jenny, or sorry, that Selena and her boyfriend went camping, and so Jenny and Jim were house-sitting for them, and that's why they were there. But police didn't know 
if they were camping, they didn't know that. So they literally, and they weren't aware of Selena having a boyfriend. Like they, no one was there to tell them that. So um, they treated Selena's absence as a missing persons case. And um, because just from their perspective, she was missing. She could not be found. Mm -hmm. And um, remember, it's 2000, so resources are a little different. Yeah. Sorry? Yeah. Is she the, is she, is she sus, 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 she's sus, right? Not, what was strange is no, not right away, because... My immediate thought was like, well, she obviously had something to do with it. That's my thought. And, well, it'll unfold, obviously, but she did not have anything firsthand to do with her mother's death. Sorry, homegirl. I didn't mean that. Yeah, so. I take it back. But it's, it's a legit assumption because in a lot of cases, it's family. I just think back to that fucking Canada case where the daughter like i mean it's it's not unheard of for children to kill their families yeah, it's, it's usually family members yeah. whether it's a spouse exactly. or yeah. so um, super rare it's random and so i like i mentioned we'll be hopping around from county to county that's not happening quite yet but i do want to mention that i am going to be doing a little timeline twisty turvy okay. so just expect that if so if the if the chain of events gets confusing down the if line, if I get just confused, let me know. ask you questions. Yeah, and I'll try to answer them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds so confident. <laughs> so, um, my whole story is just a little twisted, to be honest, because you know how, like, a lot of times we like to talk about victims at the end. I do do that, um, but I also kind of talk about them throughout the middle. So I'm going to mention a little bit about. Jennifer, a.k.a. Jenny Valerian right now, who was the one found murdered in the bed. Jenny Valerian was a bartender at a local bar called the Paper Mill Creek Saloon. And this bar was described as the center of the social scene in Woodacre. I I can't imagine them having many. Um, Maybe I should have looked up, like, the population or something. But this saloon was the center of the social scene and that that should say something because it was a small community and um to jenny she worked there you know throughout her life and to her she didn't feel like she was just working in a bar or at some bar she just felt though as though she was just hanging out with friends when she was working because she just seemed to like know everyone and you just chat with everyone so she really enjoyed it She was a kind and fun, free spirit, so it was no surprise when she met a blues musician named Elvin Bishop, and they fell in love. So I believe he played a gig in the saloon, and that's how they met, but I could be wrong on that. Don't Mm. fool me. And apparently he was, like, famous or semi-famous. Because, I mean, after they met and fell fell in love, he wrote a hit pop, like, blues song in 1976 called Fooled Around and Fell in Love. And it was about Ginny. Aww. Yeah. Like, wow. I want a song written about me. I got goosebumps from that. (laughs) Yeah. 
They would go on to have their daughter, Selena Grace Bishop, oh. on October 17th, 1977. Oh my god, and then your kid can hear your song and be like, yeah. oh, that's about your mom. But, um, Elvin decided he wanted to continue touring for his music and being a blues musician. So, Jenny became a single mom to Selena and a dedicated one at that. So, you know, she really adored her daughter and worked very hard um, to provide, you know, a decent life for them. Oh, yeah. So, she continued to work at the saloon, you know, throughout, like I said, throughout her life. And when times were rough, she'd even work other, you know, kind of odd jobs or multiple jobs. One of her friends from the show I watched mentioned, you know, if someone needed their house cleaned, she'd clean their house or, you know. So she was really well known and loved by the community. And um, she had this longtime friend named Jim Gamble. And I'm not sure when it became like more than a friend situation and more of like a boyfriend girlfriend situation. Some sources said longtime friends, but like they were romantically involved. Mm. Some sources said boyfriend, girlfriend. So I don't know if they had a label on it, but they were longtime friends. And Jim Gamble, um, he was, you know, just a few years older than her. Like I mentioned, she was 45. He was like 54. Not bad. And more than a few, but not bad. And so he had recently retired from a career in software to take care of his elderly mother. He was described as a gentle giant, funny, kind, generous, and he would apparently do anything for Jenny. Mm -hmm. On the night before their death on Wednesday, August 2nd, Jenny was working at the bar and Jim brought her dinner just to be sweet, you know, like as a, like a romantic gesture. Um, and apparently from what I understood, they left together from the saloon at around 11 PM. They walked back to Selena's apartment and that was the last time they were seen. You know, she walked out of the saloon, waved bye to everyone, made sure everything was cool. So they went back to Selena's apartment, not knowing what was about to come. So at this point, Like I mentioned, they didn't have any evidence. They were looking into Jenny and Jim's backgrounds and found no enemies. So they really didn't have any leads or suspects. So they turned their attention and focus onto 22-year-old Selena Bishop for answers. Yeah, because I was going to say, what's... where is she? Like, Selena. Well, what's her situation then? Yeah, if she's... Yeah. And I will mention, you know, I don't really bring, I'm going to get into her like a little bit right now, but I won't bring her back up until a little later. So I tried to make it all mold, baby. We'll see. Mold it. Mold it. (laughs) Um, So like I mentioned, they can't locate her. Um, This is, I think before the, there were, there were, you know, cell phones and car phones but it wasn't as common for someone to have oh, one this is um, yeah 2000 like cell yeah. phones were not even really a thing they like were, i'm sure they but... were trying to see if there was a way to get a hold of her she had a pager mm-hmm. 
but um, they couldn't get a hold of her. And they ultimately wanted to locate her, locate her if anything, because they were concerned about her safety, as well as like wondering if she knew anything about her mother's death. But they were concerned about her safety because where have you been, girl? Yeah, I think they were Bella. Where the hell you been, Loca? (laughs) Yeah, I think because the whole little—it's a small town. So I think because maybe a lot of people knew them, they didn't assume that she had anything to do with it. They were just and thought maybe she got kidnapped and she's missing. So they were really concerned about her safety. So, like I mentioned, they label her as a missing persons. They hang posters with identifiable information, such as. Uh, her height she was 5'3 she had a shoulder tattoo that was I think kind of on the back of her shoulder Mm -hmm. and they're just searching and canvassing kind of they put a search out um for her vehicle or whatever you call that thing like an mpv mv uh oh my god I just no I just I just read this uh I did save a dictionary of true crime and legal terms to be aware of, but have I read it? No. ATL, attempt to locate. Yeah, that sounds right. Not what I was thinking, but it sounds right. Well, and that could is... be towards a person or a vehicle or whatever, a bicycle. <laughs> so this is where we get a little twisty-turvy and a little cray-cray into a next county. Let me put my seatbelt on. Okay. Because Sarah's driving. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> so on that same morning of August 3rd, 2000, which was a Thursday, mm-hmm. 50 miles east of Woodacre in Concord, California. Sorry, I'm like not getting into the counties. I meant like towns. But so in Concord, California, That's... 52-year-old Nancy Hall goes to her parents' house. And on the front doorstep, she notices something kind of odd. Uh, there's a stack of newspapers piled up. Oh. There were four newspapers in a oh. stack dated from July 30th until August 3rd. And she's there on the 3rd. So this was strange to her because she knew that if her parents were to go somewhere for a few days, they would cancel the paper because yeah. it was back then where it costs money you, and you could, fucking, yeah you could skip dates and yeah. stuff and there weren't like subscriptions it was yeah so i believe she had a key um because her parents were elderly and so she goes into the home and you know looks around for her parents and she doesn't see them but she does come across a few things that were odd one they had two cats one of them was locked upstairs in a bathroom And the other cat was locked outside without any food or water. She found her dad's gold watch in the couch. And some of the links were kind of like torn or broken, kind of. Or like crooked. Um, Her parents, 78-year-old Annette and 85-year-old Ivan Steinman, were nowhere to be found. So she calls the police. Because um, the last time she had talked to them was about four days prior to that. And it's been... So so we have a fucking serial killer on our hands. 
So it's not, they're not serial killers. Um, they are considered spree killers. Spree killers. Because of the amount of people who do get murdered in the short amount of time, I believe. Mm. So. So, wait. Serial killers, it's the amount of people over a longer span of time. It's like more than three people. Yeah, and it's more, well, it's, it has to do with the amount of people and the time span, I believe. Hold on. Because in this, yeah. Google. Okay, so a spree killer is someone who kills two or more victims in a short time in multiple locations. Oh. Whereas... So location. A serial killer is a person who commits a series of murders, often with no apparent motive and typically following a characteristic. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Well, after this story, you'll definitely see the clear Three difference between... Three or more people, but we're at four. I guess, yeah. Yeah, well, if, two. It's over two. <laughs> oh, over you'll two. See the, you'll see at the end the difference because, um, you know, with the serial killer, it mentions with no, like, seemed motive, although there is a lot of times some kind of motive. But with this one, like, there's definitely a motive and a reason behind it all. Hmm. And it it's not, like... Yeah, it's not all random, so it's it's really crazy how they begin to connect, Ooh. or the story, like, melds together, so. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, Nancy calls the police right away, and during the investigation and search for the elderly couple, their neighborhood was canvassed, and neighbor, neighbors were questioned, one neighbor that lived on the same street as the Steinmans noticed um, two young men dressed like Mormon missionaries walking around about 9.30 at night. And I did not get what day this was that she saw this, but I assume it, we can we have a short timeline in our minds right now. I'll let you kind of take a guess, and I will go on uh, to say later when exactly it was said that maybe they were departed from their home <laughs> yeah and sorry i i did find so the difference and why it's considered a spree killer so a serial killer the murders take place over more than a month and includes a significant period of time between the killings so okay. that's why he's considered a spree killer or they're considered a spree killer sorry i don't know who the killer is Definitely makes sense. So this neighbor slash witness saw these two men dressed like missionaries talking to Annette and Ivan on their doorstep that night. Mm -hmm. But she walked away from her window and like didn't see anything else because I guess she didn't really think anything of it. So please do note this. Um, I think she even mentioned that one of them had long hair like in a ponytail. So, it was something to at least, you know, jot down. <laughs> and uh, so, I remembered this was in Concord. We're going to go back to Woodacre now, where the search for Selena is still underway. Her family and friends, um, obviously, are being, they're talking to investigators, and they let them know about Selena's boyfriend that she had met about three months prior they met at a rave. <laughs> um, 
But they had, like, none of her friends and family had met her boyfriend. Oh. And they only knew him by the name of Jordan. Oh. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm going to hop right in real quick. Hi, if you're listening to this podcast and you're dating someone you need, like, it don't matter if it's your family, like, tell your best friend. Like, tell someone. that No one yeah. knew well, because we'll he was find fucking out that controlling. Maybe Selena didn't even fucking know. I don't <gasps> know. Maybe. I don't know. There's still some holes in questions at the end but apparently jordan was reluctant to meet selena's family and friends but her mom jenny did briefly meet him on one occasion so jenny selena's mom her best friend was featured in the episode i watched and she was talking about how they hadn't met jordan and they wanted to see what he was all about so her and jenny kind of con concocted this little plan to randomly go over to selena's apartment one day and their excuse was that jenny needed to borrow a top like a shirt Mm -hmm. so um jenny's friend like waits in the car and jenny knocks on the door like goes in kind of real quick and comes out i think probably with a shirt and so when she gets back to the car her friend was like so like how was he and she was like well he was handsome but that was pr- pretty much all she had to say. But he was le- so he was for sure a real person, though. This isn't like an there episode was a of real person, right? Oh, she did have some boyfriend named oh, Jordan. That makes it creepy. Yeah. When Jordan and Selena met, or shortly after, he told her that he was going through a divorce, and that he was about to inherit one hundred thousand dollars. Not from the divorce, but from some, like, family or, I don't know. But he needed help with securing the funds so that his soon-to-be ex-wife couldn't get any of it in the divorce. Uh, Oh. So he asked or convinced or Selena apparently agreed to put the money into her account to hold it for him. uh, Or I read that maybe she possibly opened up a separate account under her name for that money specifically. As an accountant, I strongly, strongly disadvise doing this. Yeah. Um, so although Jordan, you know, never got introduced to Selena's family and friends and her mom, Jenny, only met him that one time, Selena would still talk to her mom about Jordan and she was still pretty open about the relationship. She, Selena told her mom about, um, the $100,000 being inherited and how he wanted her help. Uh, because I think, you know, Jenny ended up telling her friends because it was like a known thing. This, you know, obviously will come back later. So when police find this information out by family and friends, they find it sketchy because who the fuck does that? Yeah. <laughs> like, hi, I just met you, and can you hold this $100,000 for me? I'm just like, like what and, the fuck? Okay, and so where's Selena, and where's this fucking Jordan guy? They don't know. 
Because remember, they don't know where Selena is, and this is police just now finding out about Jordan. It's all all stinky. Although the family and friends who are telling police about Jordan haven't met Jordan, um, police and investigators, or, you know, I should just say investigators, they go to the Two Bird Cafe where Selena waitressed, Mm -hmm. and they they find out that... um, some people, some coworkers there had actually met him. And so they knew more information. They told investigators that Jordan lived somewhere in the East Bay with his brother, Justin, but they didn't have an address. That was all they knew. Um, but something else interesting that investigators find out while they're at the Two Bird Cafe was that Selena had left her pager there. Oh. <gasps> I don't know if it was just the last time she worked, she forgot it. That was pretty much the assumed That's thing. That's not what happened, though. Um, so, you know, management had it, and they turn it over to investigators. Or, Well, I mean, like, it's probably what happened, but, like, she hasn't gone back to get it. You know what I mean? Exactly. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. This reeks. It you know, reeks. It reeks. I'm sorry. Well, and then and we look back at that theory of... If she went camping with her boyfriend, you know, she's supposed to be out of town, maybe. So if you just, like, think about some of the different scenarios, it's like, what? His boyfriend's They didn't go camping. I'll just say that now. They did not go camping. So did she, why'd she tell her mom that? What was she really doing? Or was that even a real fact I read? Who knows? Um, Oh, and because so I mean, like, so she it, didn't have to work those next few days because then her I didn't read anything about the two bird cafe calling in and being like, she's not showing up for work. Where is she? So did she ask off because she's going, quote unquote, camping? And then she are we getting to the fact that this girl was never found? Well, she's found. Oh, OK, because it's just so I. I I was about to go, whoa. But it's just the... I don't know. Okay. You know what? When police... (laughs) I got a little drunk. (laughs) (laughs) When police get the pager in possession, they look at the... Remember how some people called them beepers? Mm -hmm. Me. (laughs) Well, like, I did too, I guess, even though I never had one. But um, when they look at the beeper records, or I guess they're called records, I don't know, to see who had been beeping her, they (laughs) don't see the name Jordan anywhere. If you want to reach me. If you want to reach me. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I had to, I had to. Yes. They don't see the name Jordan anywhere, her boyfriend, but Mm. they do recognize another name that is popping up very frequently. And this is the name of Justin Helzer. And they were able to, you know, by looking at the phone number, figure out where it was coming from. And this was in Concord, California. Oh, was this like a a, a saucy little uh, affair? No. Oh. Dude, it's crazy. Okay, so 
Remember, they had just learned that this dude, Jordan, lived with his brother, Justin. They immediately look into these two dudes. Because they have the name of at least Justin Helzer at this point. So they begin to connect the dots. Yeah. So because they have Justin Helzer's full name, they look into him, look at his record. They find out that two months earlier, Justin had purchased a 9mm pistol. Oh, uh, okay. Red which was the one. same weapon used in the double murders of Jenny and Jim at the top of the episode. Ugh. So now, now they have this weird link between Selena's boyfriend, which is still just Jordan at this point, and his brother, Justin, who live in Concord, where these two elderly people are missing, as well as purchase, purchasing a gun used to kill Selena's mom and her mom's boyfriend. So they're definitely starting to link things, although they don't have much to go off of. Um, investigators working on Jenny and Jim's case contact the Concord investigators to fill them in a little bit, you know, and ask if they can watch Justin's house to get more information. But they have, so, Woodacre investigation, investigators, they don't know about the Concord investigation into their their missing elderly couple. They just have made the connection of Justin and Jordan living there. So they connect with the Concord investigators or the police, you know, and they let them know what's going on on the Woodacre end and uh, how Justin came about, you know. So they ask Concord police to watch his house to get more information specifically on who exactly was living there because they know that the address kind of pinpoints it's under Justin's name but they're wanting to know more on his brother this Jordan dude so they're kind of unsure they want more information yeah so after the house being watched they find out um brothers Justin Helzer and Glenn Taylor Helzer live at the house (gasps) So, no wonder he used a different name. So, uh, what's his name? Is Glenn? Glenn Taylor. Yeah, I don't know why. Oh, so, Taylor is Glenn. Yeah. Glenn Taylor Helzer. You go, Glenn Coco. Yes. I would fucking change my name, too. You're the butt of... I mean, I get that Mean Girls wasn't out yet, but Glenn, come on. But we'll see that it the changing the name thing was fucking stupid because why... Was so, wait, you'll see sorry. you'll see you'll sorry see. sorry i'm tipsy what was this oh no no you have it right again? you have it right taylor? there's just more to it in a second no it was taylor glenn taylor helzer no but what was the, the boyfriend name? is jordan 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 is glenn yes yes okay sorry i forgot yeah. what na- i forgot what his alias was i thought it was taylor yeah. so After Concord police relay this information to the Woodacre investigators, they also send them photos from their IDs so that they have photo identity of them. And Woodacre investigators take these photos to the Two Bird Cafe to see if um, 
obviously, if Selena's boyfriend Jordan could have actually been one of these two men under an alias. So Glenn Taylor was positively identified as being Jordan because the coworkers who had met Jordan could point him out. So this is obviously great news in the search for Selena because they finally have suspects and people who are adding up, you know? And so they finally just see this as like a major step in the investigation. I am going to talk a little bit about the Helzer brothers now. Mm -hmm. Justin Helzer and Glenn Taylor Helzer, a.k.a. Taylor because Glenn Taylor does go by Taylor his middle name yeah you can see why (laughs) but it's funny because like then like why make up your name Jordan and like I just exactly whatever yeah dudes dudes deranged that's what I say for all the males when they act crazy (laughs) you know it's not time of the month for them me too. We're on the same cycle. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor and Justin did have a younger sister. I'm not going to say her name. Um, it does in some of the resources, but she's not at all like involved in this yeah. other than th- their upbringing. So they all grew up in an extremely religious household. It was a very traditional Mormon upbringing. Considering this, it said that they had a relatively normal childhood, like nothing concerning, I guess you could say, but who knows, really. There wasn't a lot on it. I didn't care to dig too deep. (laughs) Anyways. uh, It's not that I I don't care. I just don't. I just don't. (laughs) Glenn Taylor, who went by Taylor, was born on July 26th, 1970. Being the bigger brother to Justin, who was born on February 12th, 1972. After high school, both boys went and served two years in the missionary field, which was, I guess, necessary as part of their faith. Um, After Taylor's missionary mission, (laughs) he became his stockbroker. I did read that maybe he served some time in the military, but I couldn't get that too confirmed. But he eventually became a stockbroker, and he did end up marrying a Mormon woman and having two children. But feeling confined to his faith and the family life, Taylor decided that it wasn't for him. Wow. And he fucking dipped after three years after they married. Wow. I mean, the wife probably didn't see that as a blessing, but I'm sure... She it's, seemed, it yeah, I don't know. She she came out with some statements during the whole, whole or, ordeal and trial, I, I think. Um, not in the trial, but just, you know, through media or interviews. And she is the one who said that he felt confined to his faith and, like, wanted out. And so it kind of seemed like she was understanding, but who knows how she felt in the moment. Like, I don't know. Maybe she just really, she 
swerved a <laughs> she's like i really fucking dodged a bullet with that dodged one. a bullet so that's what i was looking I'm for gonna, <laughs> um, gonna just count my blessings thank you god i will because i literally <laughs> didn't even find out he was married or even had children until later in my research and because i think i don't i don't know i'm about to get into it but taylor was described as a natural leader growing up with Justin being his younger brother you know apparently Justin really looked up to his older brother Taylor but Taylor kind of fed off of that and would call himself number one and Justin number two Mm. and so he like really let that get to his head at an early age yeah became a narcissist Um, (laughs) after serving in the ministry for his two years Justin became a cable installer um, so one of the things that was confusing to me is because, so at some point they both, um, either get excommunicated or removed from the Mormon church community. Oh, sure. And I did read somewhere that they both got excommunicated for drug use, Oh, but shit. I don't know how true that is because, like, with Taylor, it could have been with his divorce, how he was feeling confined to his faith and his family, and his brother could have just, like, fallen under his influence. What kind of drug use? It could have been drugs because we do find out later they were into drugs, at least at the time of these crimes, so. What kind of drugs are we talking about, though? Well, and... In general, to be excommunicated, I think it literally... Is anything. Anything. Like alcohol, too. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Just as headway was being made to find Selena and Woodacre, you know, they're making the these discoveries about the Helzer brothers and everything. Headway was also being made in Concord in the search for Annette and Ivan Steinman. So on the morning of Sunday, August 6th, their minivan was found in a like a really bad or sketchy part of Oakland, California, which was 20 miles away from their home in Concord. It was found with the windows rolled down and rap music blaring from the speakers. So police carefully approach the vehicle, but they see that like no one is inside. It's just abandoned. The next day, Monday, August 7th, Concord police go on the news or go live, you know, to ask for help in finding the elderly couple. And they got pretty lucky, I think, because a lady named Vicki Sexton, who is a bank manager, was watching the news that day and immediately recognized the couple they were searching for as being her clients. She calls the police because she had some information of, like, some sketchy shit that had gone down that week that they would probably want to hear. So, it was, like, that day when she went into work, investigators were waiting for her in her office to hear what she had to say, and she tells them that five days earlier, on Wednesday, August 2nd, a client comes rolling straight into her office. A woman in a wheelchair who is wearing a dress. (laughs) okay i'm like whoa i thought that was laughing now i know for sure it is is this like (laughs) it's just one of the puns i had (laughs) okay let's hear it 
No, I already said it. No. Oh, God damn it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll re-say it. A client comes rolling straight into her office. A woman in a wheelchair oh, who was yeah, wearing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. You're doing great, sweetie. I love it. No, 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 no. That was, that was so. That was so good. That was so good, hon. Okay, right. Love it. Yes. Who is wearing driving gloves and dressed in like a lime green cotton two-piece outfit, almost like a tracksuit type of thing, comes to her with a couple of checks that she wants to deposit. And the reactment, she was also wearing like this purple cowgirl hat. (laughs) But I really don't know. Like, maybe she was, maybe she wasn't. She probably did wear some sort of hat to cover. She was obviously trying to go undercover. So she probably was wearing some sort of hat to cover her hair and head. So maybe it was a purple cowgirl hat, but. <laughs> no, it was it was me with my hair, hair sprayed in the shape of a cowgirl hat. You should do that. Right? That's exactly what I'm going to do. So this chick has a couple of checks she wants to deposit. The odd thing was that the checks were made from the Steinman's account. Like, they were under their name, had their names on them, their address, their bank account number. And they were made out to Celine Bishop. There were Which two checks. I thought you said she's not a sus girl. Just she's... hold on. Just hold on. Okay. 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 There were two checks, I think, and they totaled to $100,000. Oh, well, okay. Yeah, you did say one. Okay. Never mind. I forget the one guy. He was sketchy. He used one. Okay. This lady tells the bank manager that she would like to deposit the checks into Selena Bishop's account. This lime green lady clearly wasn't Selena, okay? She was going by the name of Jackie. This is obviously suspicious to the bank manager, so she asks Jackie what her relationship was to Selena. And Jackie says she's a family friend and that Selena was the Steinman's granddaughter and that Selena needed to have surgery that cost $100,000. So her look... So her loving grandparents wrote her the checks to pay for her surgery. I'm sorry in what I, I I don't, I'm not a doctor by any means. I'm not a plastic surgeon or any kind of surgeon. I know there's, maybe there is, but a hundred thousand dollars. Depending on, yeah, it's. But like, okay, like 10,000. I'm just no, thinking. I, I just know boob jobs. <laughs> Maybe open heart surgery. Yeah. Are you getting? Do you I don't know. My brother artery? had like lung failure and collapsed. Not lung failure, but collapsed lungs. I don't know. That shit gets expensive because it's not just the surgery; it's the hospital bills. So it's not ridiculous to ask a hundred thousand dollars. No wonder. Well, I mean, we'll see that it's all bullshit, anyways. So yeah, that's why another reason. <laughs> I'm like trying to like that, be like reasonable behind it. <laughs> well, I mean, granted, the only surgeries I have looked at are the plastic of <laughs> the, of the plastic variety, but. <laughs> 
it's only it's only hit like the twenty thousand dollar limit. I mean, like the women that hit the hundred thousand dollar mark, they have like multiple surgeries. Well, okay, so. just imagine like life saving. <laughs> surgeries <laughs> not okay Kristen stop being selfish like people who actually need their health I'm sorry I shouldn't be laughing no I get it I get it when people are dying people are dying Kristen Kim there are people dying <laughs> I'm sorry I just really want my boobs <laughs> I'm rooting for you. Fuck it. Uh, So, as sketchy as all this was, the bank manager, I believe, took the checks, but she didn't authorize the deposit because she definitely wanted more information, and she wouldn't authorize them until she did get information. So, as the investigators find all of these things out, things are starting to add up even more. They're starting to make more sense because now we have selena's name in connection to the steinman's name as well as this random ass lime green check chick <laughs> sorry. the checks sorry. may have been green too baby i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm here i'm here you're doing good you're thank doing you this a good is, job at making like, this a little lighthearted. yeah good <laughs> Investigators from Woodacre and Concord team up to locate Selena and the Steinmans, who they now think have been kidnapped by the Helzer brothers. Because remember, they still haven't been found. Yeah. Police obtain a search warrant to find Justin's 9mm gun. So, because this is like all they knew what to look for at this point, and they knew like where they lived. So they went for it. So the SWAT team goes to the Helzer brothers' home, and they find in the home Taylor Helzer, Justin Helzer, and a 26-year-old woman named Don Godman. Yeah. Who? Who the fuck is this bitch? Don Godman. Who's met- this female? <laughs> I'm a bitch. You're a bitch. We're all bitches. Okay. <laughs> Don Godman had met Taylor in 1999 at a Mormon singles event. Oh. I'm not getting too much into her history or anything, but she did come from like a small town from somewhere. She ended up converting to Mormonism at a later age. She didn't grow up as a Mormon. So I will include that. Um, She like apparently one of her friends introduced her to the Mormon church and it changed her life and so interesting and she was um the type of person to maybe have some self love issues she was heavier set so apparently it was said that when she met taylor at this mormon single event he approached her and like gave her attention and she was like dumbfounded because no one Mm. ever did that or like no one ever just walked up to her and gave her attention so she immediately kind of like fell under taylor's i don't want to say like control but spell would be a good word yeah charm charm so 
This is also when she became the Heltzer's brother's roommate. It was said that her and Taylor had sexual relations at least once. (laughs) Whatever that means. I read in literally one article that they're a boyfriend-girlfriend, but I'm pretty positive they were not. Um, So I think maybe she was targeted, and I'll get into that later on. So... Mm. They find these three in the home. When police search, you know, they apprehend them. When police search the home, they were looking for the 9mm pistol. Obviously, that's what they had the warrant for. But they found a bunch of other shit that did not look so good, okay? They found handcuffs, like a shit ton, rope, duct tape, a taser or tasers, Leg irons, which are, like, uh, shackles, you could say. Basically, a bunch of shit used to tie people up or to restrain someone. Lovely. They also find documents with the Steinman's names on them. So, (sighs) this is fucking funny. While investigators are searching through the Heltzer's house... While the SWAT team is there, while these three are in custody, somehow, Taylor Heltzer escapes custody. He was just in his boxers. So he runs off. He's running through the neighborhood, through backyards, hopping fences, when he eventually starts banging on the back door of this lady's house. And she opens up the door because she thinks he's... She thinks he's a friend of her son's at first. In his boxers. I'm sorry, but even if that's a friend, if he's in his boxers, he's on a drug rampage. You keep that door closed. You call the police. Mm. Oh, my gosh. Lady, I'm sorry. I'm sure you're very sweet, but that is not what you do. And cops. (laughs) Handcuffs. (laughs) I know. He had shackles in his house. Why not use them on him? Oh, my gosh. Um, So Taylor forces his way past her into her home. He says, if you call the police, I'll kill you. He grabs a knife from her kitchen and starts making demands. He's asking her for things basically because he needed to change his appearance, like, super quick. So he gets some scissors and he cuts off some of his hair because he had long hair. He had demanded for a change of clothes, so he puts on the clothes and he fucking runs away. So this lady calls the police ASAP and they got the general location of where she lives and they eventually swarm Taylor during his attempted escape. So... He's back in custody, and now police can continue their search of the Heltzer home with a peace of mind, I guess. During their search, they noticed that a lot of the carpets in the home were wet and had air blowers trying to dry them. They also see some little red spots or specks on the walls in some areas. So when they use a luminol test in the house... They find major blood evidence in multiple areas of the home, especially in the living room and in the bathroom. 
They also found various narcotics, including rohypnol, the aka the date rape drug. Mm-hmm. But remember, they're looking for the nine millimeter gun, and it's nowhere to be found at this point. And this is what the warrant is for. So at this point, without finding the nine millimeter. They can only arrest Taylor for, like, breaking and entering in the women's home when he escaped custody. And they arrested Justin and Dawn for drug possession. Damn. I... Because when you enter a home like that with a warrant for a specific... Yeah, with a specific thing, for those of you who don't know, if you find other incriminating items or things against someone... um, you're like not allowed or you're not supposed to use that against them unless it is like drugs, something that's just already kind of illegal that you're not specifically searching for to use against them. So. Oh, it's like, I I get it. Like I get why we do it, but mm. times like these, I'm like fucking bend the rules just a little. Yeah. Well, at least they are arrested because this is when the case takes another pretty drastic and strange turn. A man who is out on Sacramento San Joaquin River Delta or that area on his jet ski noticed a duffel bag floating on the surface of the water. So he grabbed it and he went back to shore and... When he opened the bag, there was some quite disturbing items inside. In the bag were various body parts. <gasps> the body parts were mixed and matched with genders and ages. One of the body parts had a section of skin removed from the back of the shoulder area, as if a tattoo had been cut off to create mm. identification issues. What the fuck? And you said, mul- like, that there were multiple people in that bag. What? After this discovery was made, obviously, like, authorities were alerted. Over the next couple of days, divers worked to search for more. And uh, even more just surfaced. So, over the next couple of days, in total, nine duffel bags full of body parts were found. Oh! <gasps> All containing different peoples. Yeah. Uh, Pretty much. Yeah. It's like a a fucking episode out of Dexter. So Tuesday, August 8th, the day after the raid at the Helzer house, investigators worked to identify the body parts. And on the 9th, The identities of Ivan and Annette Steinman were made. A third victim was identified as Selena Bishop. (gasps) And those were the only three that were dismembered and placed into nine separate duffel bags. Oh my god. What a fucking asshole. Because they were their whole bodies dismembered in place, not just, like, arms and legs. It wasn't just body parts. It was, like, body parts. (laughs) Shit, dude. 
All three victims had been dismembered post-mortem, put into duffel bags, which were later found in the Sacramento-San Joaquin River Delta. So, with Selena, Ivan, and Annette finally being found, investigators can, you know, that's just one more piece of the puzzle that they didn't want to happen, but happened, and so now they can kind of put together an idea of maybe how and why they were killed. DNA evidence did link the deaths of Selena, Ivan, and Annette to the Helzer brothers, as well as Don Godman. Don Godman was identified by the bank manager as being the woman posing as Jackie, trying to deposit money into Selena's account. Um, Little bitch. Don, naturally, was not in a wheelchair. So that was all for show. Just LOL to that. So what investigators believe happened was that Ivan and Annette Steinman were kidnapped on the 30th and brought to Helzer's house and held for hostage for about three or four days in order to extort money from them. Both of the Steinmans suffered from multiple stab wounds. Annette's cause of death was said to be a slash to the throat. (gasps) Ivan's had been because his head was bashed in. At this point, we still don't have evidence linking the Helzer brothers to the murders of Jenny and Jim, and we are still on the search for the 9mm pistol slash murder weapon. So, when looking at the Helzer brothers' phone records for maybe just more clues, more leads, whatever, they see a name that frequently pops up. And this is of a 30-year-old Deborah McClanahan. You should see how <laughs> I spelled McClanahan in my notes because they didn't so show you could it say in it, the right? show. <laughs> it's McClanahan. <laughs> McClanahan. She was in the Helzer brothers' inner circle, and she was apparently really close friends with Taylor. She was a Wiccan and a Mormon. Oh. Is that allowed? (laughs) So it was said in the show that apparently they contradict each other. Yeah, because um, that's... uh... Okay. Yeah, so you you do you, girl. Yeah, so yeah. Okay. <laughs> so Okay. <laughs> anyways, I just thought I'd note that cuz it was kind of funny, but she obviously gets brought in for questioning and she does reveal that the trio of Justin, Taylor, and Don had asked her to hold a safe for them. And mm. she just assumed that there were drugs in there. She never looked, obviously. So, um, police go to open this safe. They recover it and they go to open it. They find the Steinman's IDs in there, their checkbooks, Selena's driver's license, and at the very bottom, a 9mm handgun. 
Oh, bingo! Yeah, shit. That's the that's what they've been looking for. Shit. So obviously, this is the suspected murder weapon they've been looking for all along, and this finally links the Helzer brothers to the murder of Ginny and Jim. So now that most of the puzzle pieces have come together. Investigators are thinking that these crimes were just motivated by purely money. But they were not ready for what they heard next. Okay, wait, no, I thought we were done. Nope. So remember, Taylor, Justin, and Don are still in custody when all of this happens. Um... So, when they apprehended or arrested Justin and Don at first, like, at the raid of the Helzer home, it was kind of obvious to investigators that they were more of, like, the followers, and by Taylor's erotic behavior, he was not as laid back, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um so, I don't know when in custody, like, I know Justin and Don didn't Im- immediately spill the beans on everything, but basically information came out that Taylor and Justin Helzer and Don Godman all believed that Taylor was a prophet of God. Okay, now I see where you get the cool t-shirt from. <laughs> yep. They believed that Taylor was put on Earth to carry out a secret mission by God. Okay. Basically, he had been chosen to bring out Christ's second coming. Of course he was. But in order to carry out this divine mission, he Mm -hmm. needed millions of dollars. (laughs) I also need millions of dollars to carry out my divine mission. Please fund me. So, Taylor created a secret cult called the Children of Thunder. That's where we, that's where we get it from. The Children of Thunder consisted of the Helzer brothers and Don Godman. Children of Thunder actually comes from a Bible verse referring to the Sons of Thunder. But because Don was a woman, Taylor changed the name to Children of Thunder. Okay. So it was kind of a nod to Don being a woman, which is kind of cool, but whatever. We can appreciate it being women, but still. (laughs) Taylor chose the year 2000 specifically to launch this mission because that was when he turned 30, which was the age Jesus was when he started his ministry work. He created the Children of Thunder to overthrow the Mormon church by using extortion, sex, and murder, all in the name of God. Because why not? (laughs) Because God. (laughs) I could, like, rant, but I won't. His ultimate goal was to become the new leader of the Mormon church, I think. It just kind of said new leader in general. So, apparently, he had this big plan to train a team of Brazilian orphans 
to go to Salt Lake City, Utah to slaughter the Mormon church's leaders. That came kind of out of left field. Yeah. So there's like no backstory as to how he came to that that very logical thought that he came up with. It's just uh it really freaks me out that some people can actually think like think like that and um think that that's like actually sane. Yeah, and apparently do anything to <laughs> Get like act it. on it. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. So Taylor also had a plan for when he was in charge. He would implement plans to transform American society in order to defeat Satan. The children of thunder would get on their knees and thank God for the people they murdered because Ugh. they saw them as sacrifices for their mission. I, there, yeah, okay. No, I'm not. I, you know, if you don't know what's wrong with that sentence that Sarah just said, then maybe, you know, we shouldn't be friends. <laughs> Don Goodman, um, you know, by the time she was arrested, according to her attorneys and everyone around her, seemed to be sincerely under the strong impression and control of Taylor. When she'd be with her attorneys, she expressed this mindset like, Taylor is going to come for me. Everything's fine. Everything's going to be okay. So they were just like, okay, she is brainwashed. (laughs) (laughs) She literally needed to be deprogrammed and did so successfully with the help of therapy. So... That's when, with the help of therapy, she realized she wasn't doing the Lord's work, but instead was assisting in cold-blooded murder. Yeah. So, because of this realization, she pled guilty and agreed to reveal everything of what happened, of course, with the exchange of a deal. Yeah. And this was a deal of 35 years to life. Shit. Yeah. So on March 6th, 2004, so we're years ahead at the trial now, the Helsers are brought to trial. Taylor pled guilty to all charges, which somehow surprised a lot of people. I don't know, maybe thought they thought he was going to try and fight it, who knows. But his brother, Justin, pled not guilty by reason of insanity. Until Don Godman testified, the full story of what happened had not been unearthed. So when she gets on the stand, she states that Justin knew what he was doing and willfully committed his crimes or willfully carried out the mission. So she was basically saying, like, he's not insane. He knew what he was doing. Yeah, exactly what he was doing. Damn. She reveals that the Steinmans were targeted because Taylor had been their stockbroker, so he knew of their financial status. So they weren't random at all. Yeah, exactly. And I know we're all wondering where Selena came into it, what part she had to play, if any. So it was pretty much concluded that 
she was chosen to be the launderer of the funds for the Children of Thunder. She was targeted by Taylor because she was young and naive. He obviously lied to her about how he was receiving the $100,000 inheritance. So she was basically turned into a pawn right away. Like so fucked up. Oh, man. When the $100,000 wasn't authorized that day when Jackie went to the bank, Taylor apparently panicked and decided he needed to kill Selena to silence her. So on August 2nd, Selena was murdered. That's so fucked up and like so fucking unnecessary. Super. And you know what? It's just... After everything you've done to that poor girl. You want to know what he even did further to murder her? No. When Dawn was on the stand, she even revealed exactly how Taylor murdered Selena. Taylor told Selena he'd give her a massage. You know, a back massage. Stop. And when she lay down on her stomach, she was hit over the head with a hammer by Justin. So we know that the victims were dismembered. It's unclear. Uh, We know it happened post-mortem. It's unclear where. I assume it happened in the bathroom or something. But in the pro, like, what I'm saying is the process of dismemberment is not exactly known. But we do know that in the process of Selena being dismembered, They removed her tattoo that was on the back of her shoulder and fed it to one of their dogs. Dawn also testifies that Taylor shot Selena's mom, Jenny, because he was afraid that she would go to the police. And she knew what he looked like, obviously, from meeting him that one time. It doesn't that... Because we now know that Selena was killed on the 2nd. And Jenny and Jim were killed in the early mornings of the 3rd. Jim Gamble was simply in the wrong place at the wrong time. If he wasn't in bed with Jenny that night, he wouldn't have gotten killed. On March 11th, 2005, the Helzer brothers were both found guilty and sentenced to death. In 2011, Justin Helzer attempted suicide in prison by stabbing himself in the eye with a pin. But on April 14th, 2013, he hanged himself in his cell at the age of 41. I always hate when they do that. Yeah. And remember, that is the brother who pled not guilty by reason of insanity. So he did um, make comments early on of how he just wanted to die and stuff and after the first suicide attempt, he was put under close suicide watch, but that obviously obviously not didn't close help. Enough. So, oh, I, uh. yeah. Taylor Helzer is still on de- death row. So oh. just you know to close a little bit on the victims, I don't have a whole lot. Um, I did mention some about Jenny and Selena already, but Jenny was forty five when she was murdered. She was well-known and loved by the community. She was known as a hard worker and a loving mother. Selena was 22 when she was murdered. She was hardworking just like her mother, 
waitress to support herself and you know made that happen to where she moved out and got her own place um takeaways from jenny and selena's death from their family and friends are to appreciate every day love your friends and family and that jenny and selena were very loved and are very missed jim gamble was 54 when he was murdered he was a gentle giant funny kind generous and i do believe he left behind children i didn't get exact details but there were mentions of some sons he had so mm. ivan and annette steinman were 85 and 78 when they were murdered they had two daughters that they adored nancy and judy they both worked long careers with chevron and saved hard for the retirement, which they thoroughly enjoyed. They loved to work in their yard, garden, and their 55th wedding anniversary was just two months away at the time of their murder. Oh my god, I was talking about a wedding anniversary at the beginning of the show. I know. I didn't want to say anything then, but I was like, damn, that's what I'm going to end it's on. It's all connected. So oh, that dude. was the story of the Children of Thunder. Uh, not at all. Okay, title is very, very I misleading. I know. Wow. The twists and turns that you took me on. Bravo. Bravo. I like. I, uh, I'm sad. But yeah, I know. It wasn't lighthearted. I just, I <laughs> I couldn't do it. <laughs> no. Well. Sorry. It's not funny, but. No, I it's mean. It's just. Um, awkward. We get it. This uh, called and I answered. <laughs> Hopefully. Hi, Sarah here. <laughs> what are we going to do about it? Sarah here. <laughs> <gasps> no, good job. I, you did a great job. That, oh, wow. I don't think I've heard that before and I definitely have not heard that before and it was just not at all what I expected. I couldn't remember if I had heard it before either but for some reason, some odd reason, the part where the girl comes rolling into the bank into the wheelchair with her lime green outfit <laughs> that part seemed familiar and I don't know Just if it's like, because I own a similar outfit or <laughs> because it was you in a past life or like, I don't know what? it just that was the one part that jogged my memory you know that <laughs> looks a lot like me from last <laughs> week I don't know <laughs> shit guys well okay until next time be sure to follow us on twitter are we cheersing oh. Oh, yes. Shit. <laughs> well, we got to do the other thing, too. I was literally about to say Facebook. Okay. So, <laughs> cheers to... <laughs> I know. Oh, my God. So, cheers cheers to me not having a hangover tomorrow. Yep. I'll cheers to that. Cheers to not being in a cult. That, too. Oh, God, man. They always get you. They always get you in the worst ways. Yeah. Well, shit, guys. Until next time, be sure to follow us on Twitter, YouTube, t- 
TikTok and wherever Instagram Instagram (laughs) (laughs) and and wherever you listen to your favorite podcast at R-A-R-W podcast and you know what guys if you want to send us an email you can go ahead and send us one too we'd love to hear your voice (laughs) Mm -hmm. at red rum and red wine podcasts at gmail.com Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and wish me a good luck sleep. Okay, bye. <laughs>